As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! And time, and time again. Break up the music. Charge a glass. This nation is going to dance all night. What constitutes a football hard man in 2020? Is there such thing as an iconic foul? And what are the vital components of a proper 21-man brawl? Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés. Access to The Athletic is just £1 a month. Get all our great content on the app, and listen to podcasts like this ad-free. Go to theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod to sign up. That's theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod. With me to talk footballing ultraviolence, first of all, he's back. It's Charlie Eccleshare. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm interested to know what your, what's your role in a, in a typical Sunday League 21-man brawl? Uh, where, where, do, where, where do you pitch yourself? What, what do you consider to be your um your duty very much kind of on the on the fringes <laughs> i was once fouled uh which yeah. provoked a 22-man brawl and it was a oh, really nice. bad tackle and my brother yeah. who actually i think had already he'd been subbed off so he was standing on the sidelines mm. entered the field of play to confront uh, the guy who'd fouled me so it was like every everyone on the pitch plus him and then oh. he got a 12-week ban for bringing the game into disrepute. Oh, wow. <laughs> but, but it was given, it was, they took so long to process it, it was during the summer break. So he missed 12 weeks of off-season in a kind of typically uh, strange bit of Sunday League administration. I didn't know you could bring the game into disrepute at grassroots level because surely you're not bringing the game into any repute because nobody knows who you are. Because no one's there or cares, yeah. but apparently you can. Yeah. So yeah, so I'm either on the fringes or on the floor kind of recovering from the bad tackle. As well as you, we have, this is a bit like a view from the lane extra because we also have James Moore just to increase the um, uh, implied Spursiness. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you, Adam. I'm uh, ready to rumble, so to speak. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. There will be no wrestling 
in in this episode as per usual but i'm interested to know what is the genuinely hardest player you've ever seen because i think there's there are some vague criteria to apply here but but who immediately comes into your mind? I mean, I think the thing is, and I think we've kind of discovered this in the replies to your tweet today, there aren't really actually that many genuinely hard players left in football. What no. we deem to be hard. I know you don't like the word shithousing, so I'm not going to use it, but mm. players who kind of indulge in that kind of thing and wind that merchants. I mean, someone like Sergio Ramos, I think, would be deemed to be a modern hard man, and he's certainly got the red cards to back that up. But I mean, I think yeah. if you if you pitted him up against one of the, uh, you know, <laughs> one, one of the hard, yeah, exactly. Even a razor ruddock from the 1990s, I think he'd probably find himself in a spot of bother. Just to be clear, you can use the noun shit house, but you can't use the verb. Ah, okay. Um, those are the rules. On a similar note, the adjudication panel this week, we another BBC scandal, really. Towards the latter stages of um, Leicester Aston Villa on, on Sunday, they uh, declared that Ross Barkley had scored an injury time opener. Charlie, uh, this is a this is an open and shut case, isn't it? This is a disgrace. An injury time, but yes, that is, that is a bit jarring. Um, I mean, how a, late a last can an opener be? Opener. Well, yeah, given awful. what we've seen in the Premier League this season, I think that's probably fair enough, isn't it? <laughs> What's the kind of cutting off point really for an opener? I'm thinking half time, maybe even before half time. Mm. It's got to be. Mm. Early, I think it's got to be first twenty five minutes. I think. Okay, and then anything after that, yeah, all right, so about half an hour, let's say that. And then anything after that is breaking the deadlock. And because breaking the deadlock, that's regardless of the state of the game and and how intense and how cagey it is, it is essentially, that's it. You've opened the scoring by breaking the deadlock, so... Though you can't go too early with breaking the deadlock, can you? No. Because that... That then there hasn't really been much of a dead, you know, you can't break yeah. the deadlock after. 20 yeah, there's seconds. been no tension. Yeah, we yeah. weren't waiting for a goal at that stage. So, yeah, I think it's maybe half an hour for opener. Deadlock can be an hour. Anything in between, I, I just don't know. I, um, <laughs> I, just this weird yeah. vacuum. <laughs> the first goal. Anyway, but yeah, late opener. Um, really jarring. And, and uh, another instance to where I think they're doing this deliberately now just for engagement purposes. Um, but just to get on cynical. this podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, yes. Yeah, they just want to be on the adjudication the, panel so badly. Yeah, niche broadcaster BBC trying to expand their audience. By, uh, <laughs> yeah, mm, yeah that, that must be what it is. Another thing that piqued my attention uh, this week, the, the Indian Super League uh, begins next month, James Moore. And um, that immediately brought my attention to the, the list of foreign players who, who have been assigned to clubs in the Indian Super League this season. Yeah. Uh, an in- incredible cross-section of wandering footballers, um, including people that I genuinely believed had retired. Stephen Taylor of mm. um, comical handball fame. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just Danny Fox. Adam Lafonge. Ad- it really is a shame that Adam Lafonge and Gary Hooper aren't at the same club, isn't it? Because that, be, that would be one hell of a strike partnership in 2012. Yeah, and they're essentially the same player, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> there are just some players who have just given up on their middling existence. For example, defender Peter Hartley, once of Sunderland, then Chesterfield, Hartlepool, Stevenage, Plymouth, Bristol Rovers, Blackpool, Motherwell, on loan, then Motherwell permanently, then went, ah, sod it, Jamshedpur. But fair play to these guys. I mean, I'm, I remember speaking to Phil Brown, I mean, because a, a lot of managers do a similar thing. Uh, I mm. think Coppel's done it. Didn't mm. David James do it? But anyway, yeah. Phil Brown was talking about how it was a re- you know it was this really wonderfully eye-opening experience. Yeah, you know, going to India. He said oh, it was no kind doubt. of like being on a gap year. So I, I guess for these <laughs> players as well, it must be um, 
Yeah, it must be quite a change of pace going going and playing uh, in, in a totally different culture. I'm fascinated by just how many Spanish journeymen there are. I don't I don't know what sort of and Brazilians. Yeah, well, they you kind of be... expect Brazilians, don't you? Wherever you look, you kind of expect to find Brazilian players somewhere at some. Yeah. Point. Yeah. More kind of Ukraine-based for really random. <laughs> I think the Indian Super League Brazilians are, are of another level um, completely, and I mean downwards. Uh, some of them mm. sound very made up. There's Clayton Silva. There's one simply <laughs> called Memo. <laughs> Memo is good, yeah. yeah. God, headline writer's dream. Yeah, very much so. Um, and there's also a, a, a Moroccan called Hugo Bummus, mm. which sounds like someone from The Far Show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I, I, yeah, I, I don't wish to. Um, I don't wish to patronise the Indian Super League. It's, it's, it, 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 I just wonder. In all of these cases, that I'm you are going to get at, angry messages about that, Adam. Don't care. I'm looking at a <laughs> list of 72 players here, and I just wonder at what point in their careers they thought, do you know what? It's time for me to grace the Indian Super League. But anyway, that kicks off next month. All the games are playing, being played in Goa, of course, due to uh, COVID. So uh, good luck to everybody, including, of course, Owen Coyle, now manager at Jamshedpur, who just can't leave the Indian Super League. Robbie Fowler managing East Bengal, which is his destiny. He, that was always on the cards. But um, looking forward to that. Anyway, uh, we, we're here to talk about violent conduct and, and everything that, that spills out of that can of worms, James Moore. And the talking point this week has been Jordan Pickford's supposed horror tackle, as I'm obliged to describe it, on Virgil van Dijk. And w- without wanting to go back into the kind of technical points of this of this incident, um, I'm intrigued by this idea that has been raised by at least two people over the last few days, that Jordan Pickford should be banned for as long as Virgil van Dijk is out injured. First of all, on, a, on, a, on an ethical disciplinary level, how do you feel about this? I mean, it isn't... I- it doesn't really make sense for a load of obvious reasons. But aside <laughs> from anything else, if you know Everton are playing Liverpool in the return game in the second half of the season and Van Dijk is kind of just about to return, but in the January window they've signed another centre-back and they're doing fine defensively and Matip is fit again, and they think, well, should we let Everton play their first-choice goalkeeper or should we kind of pretend that Van Dijk is injured for another week so they have to play the second-choice keeper? I mean, oh, so that, you think that his ban would end as soon as Virgil van Dijk steps on a pitch rather than, well, rather than how, being how, medically cleared to play? Well, how else would you do it? Where do you draw the line? I just, that's a very good point. I mean, well, do you think I, Everton's I physios you... are going to be at Liverpool just checking on van Dijk to see when yeah, he's he essentially, Yeah, he essentially undergoes a medical, yeah, uh, and then Pickford is allowed to play. But um, there are more mundane things here. I mean, I, mean, I, I, get, the, I get the logic behind this, Charlie. I, I, I get the kind of judicial logic behind it, but there are more mundane aspects to this. For example... For every game that Everton play during this very, very long ban, theoretically for Pickford, there'll be shots of him just in the stands, sort of sitting there really awkwardly. And I think maybe after the first month, it would start to be actually genuinely weird. It'd be like, oh, this feels a bit harsh, a bit cruel. What do we do? So on that basis alone, I think the whole thing is nonsense, isn't it? This dates back to um, the era when Arsenal suffered a few horror injuries. And I remember Mm. Wenger talking about it either in relation to Aaron Ramsey and Ryan Shawcross or Martin Taylor and Eduardo. So it's a quite well-trodden path. I mean, I I guess then, do you go down... Where, you know, do you go down the route for quite innocuous uh, causing (laughs) injuries? So you just got players... Whoever was nearest... Kind of, yeah. I mean, you just have players being banned, um, hmm. you know, for various levels of indiscretion. At the very heart of 
um, talk about violence in football, James, is is the concept of the hard man, um, a, a staple of footballing top ten lists for as long as I've been reading about football. Yeah. Um, it, it, so it's, it's a very stale subject, but it's a stale subject for a reason because I feel like hard men are a, a redundant figure now. They don't really exist anymore because there's just no room for them. Yeah, I mean, I, I, at the risk of kind of sounding like I'm decrying uh, football becoming far safer for the players mm-hmm. out on the pitch. I mean, the game has just changed in a way that means that those thunderous challenges that you see in those, you know, Danny Baker videos just yeah. don't really happen anymore. Um, you know, if you look at the list of players who got sent off in the Premier League last season, I think there are only three players who got two red cards. Yeah. Uh, and one of them is David Luiz, which I think is probably an indication <laughs> that the players that are getting red cards in this day and age are kind of, you know, bumbling buffoons rather than, you know, hard men with a lust for blood. Charlie, I just, as well as the game obviously becoming, you know, a little bit more sanitised in, in, in a physical sense, I just think there is no room for a footballing pantomime hard man anymore because you actually need to have more about you. You just can't be this kind of ornamental hard guy who, you know, <laughs> drives fear into the heart of the opposition. You actually actually be able to have to play football. And uh, so there's obviously no room tactically for these people. I was thinking, like, is the closest thing we have Pepe? The, yeah. uh, the former Real Madrid centre-back? Because I think he's still... Yeah playing and he, he's someone who like he's he scary like is he, is he inherently a well, scary person or is he just on the floor mm. I, th- I think he is quite a scary i mean he's about as close as you can come it feels like mm. G- given that as, as james was saying the the laws being what they are you can't really go around like thundering into tackles well i'm just i'm fascinated by the traditional definition that we've had of, of hard men because there's there some very very Curious choices. Um, listener Maplow says, Dennis Wise was a dubious hard man for me. Wasn't hard, just a nasty little shit. So, James, I, I worry that, you know, just little crafty little shits get brought into the umbrella of hard men and that it kind of ruins the, the genre for me. Yeah, I mean, Dennis Wise is a classic example of someone who'd kind of instigate, like, uh, you know, a brawl, handbags, yeah. and then kind of slowly kind of <laughs> slope away while it, his, uh, his more, his more sizable teammates would get stuck in. Um, mm. Which you know probably served a purpose in those days, but I don't. I just don't think you kind of get away with that now. No, absolutely. Another curious one, actually, um, from a Spurs perspective. Um, listener Sam writes in. He said, "Vinny Samways, um, who was known as a, as a sort of relative fancy Dan midfielder when he played for Spurs, he joined Las Palmas, and got red carded ten times in eighty-eight games." including being sent off 13 minutes into his debut and racked up 47 bookings, which is one every 155 minutes, to become, the Guardian wrote, the most notorious hard man in Spain. What a rebranding that was, James. Yeah, I mean, he's slightly before my time, Vinny Samways, but yeah, you're mm. right. I mean, he was certainly never seen as uh, one for a crunching tackle in English football. And again, that's probably yeah. an indication of uh, where English football was early years of the Premier League in comparison mm. to La Liga. Yeah. Charlie, that kind of opens up a kind of avenue of possibilities career-wise maybe 20 years ago is just say if you weren't really making a name for yourself in England you could go to a how can we say less physical league and start known as the <laughs> you know, the Vinnie Jones of that league tough guy yeah yeah but but you see it like now obviously in a much lower level way but I feel like sometimes someone like Cesar Azpilicueta I feel has evolved <laughs> into this kind of little shit who I think he's when he's really made captain, now, isn't he? yeah, I, yeah I think when he's made cap- he was like oh yeah you know I need that. to I need to be the guy and and he yeah. would like like yeah. go around and was like you know doing all this and it was like yeah come on you know yeah he used to be yeah he seemed like a nice yeah. guy i completely agree he was he was always sort of 
full-blooded as a defender but um just mm. without the kind of irritating mouthiness but yeah you're right that's what comes with with the captain's armband listener ollie k says <laughs> i always felt like some people saw thomas vermarlin's name deciding he was going to be the verminator and didn't really want to change their minds after seeing him not a particularly well deserved nickname charlie <laughs> I, I think there was a banner uh, for a time oh, with the Emirates no. with, uh, with the Verminator. I mean, that always felt like one of those nicknames that no one ever really used. Um, <laughs> you know, one of those quite contrived, um, maybe because it's not really a shortening. Um, yeah. You know, it doesn't exactly roll it did, off the tongue. And it, it doesn't evoke violence whatsoever. It sounds like, it sounds like pest control. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so I, I, I don't think the Verminator really lived up to... Uh, to yeah. that name in terms of sort of genuine violence uh, but uh, James I'm thinking of Ben Thatcher's genuinely odd fetish for elbowing people it started with Nicky Summerby at Selhurst Park which is incredible if you look at the pictures of it it's an incredible elbow into the cheek on the run if anything it's actually quite hard technically to, to achieve uh, he did the very same thing to Paul Kitson of West Ham in almost the same spot of grass within the same couple of years. And of course, there's a Pedro Mendes incident. I've just, in terms of hard men, just having such a focus on one element of violence <laughs> um, is, uh, is an incredibly weird thing to be known for. I mean, you know, I mean, you said we weren't going to talk about wrestling on here, but I mean, that is kind yeah. of like a, a like a wrestling move almost, isn't it? Like a sort of trademark <laughs> move, right? He's, he's, yeah. he's, he's a villain who's made himself, you know, he's come up with a, a trademark move. So I think that's, a, that's pretty good going from him, really. Yeah, I, I saw an interview with him um, a couple of years ago, and he was he was sort of fairly philosophical about it. He just, you know, I, I never meant kind of meant to do any of these things. I just I, this isn't what I want to be known for. And I said, well, sorry, mate, you've done it very blatantly three times. I mean, it's not I'm like sorry. an instinctive reaction, is it? I mean, like kind of throwing an arm up in someone's face. Maybe you can imagine you're kind of holding yeah. the opposition player off, but to actually kind of bend your arm, you know, point your elbow out and smash someone in the face. It's quite deliberate, isn't it? With that, was he suggesting he's not a dirty player or that he's got far more violent things as well? You know, like, what about the two-footed tackle? Sorry, was he what, saying what about... of himself, I'm not that type of player? <laughs> yes. I think you should be allowed to say that. I mean, you should be able to proclaim your own innocence in that sort of thing. But yeah, the, the implication that you, I've got more to offer. If yeah, you just give I me the chance. Do, I can do loads more fouls. I can do off the ball <laughs> stuff. It's not just elbows. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Sayed Kalasanach, again, while still having avoided pretty much any incidents of violence, does look like someone, the, uh, the least likely Premier League player I would want to find myself in a fight with. Yeah, although he, to me, he has a bit of the, you know, you get those guys who would, like those gym bunnies who would play football, but then wouldn't really be very physically imposing because actually they didn't <laughs> really need to, they didn't really know how to use their body. They'd have these yeah. amazing physiques, but they wouldn't actually be that strong on the pitch. I I don't know, I feel like sometimes Kalasnach isn't quite as... Um, kind of physically terrifying to other players as he should be. Facially, he looks quite pleasant, doesn't he? He's, he's quite, you know, he looks quite friendly. Well, I think he's just the widest footballer I've ever seen. I've, I've never seen a footballer with, with such, um, I was going to say girth. Anyway, um, uh, but we, we are forgetting the fact that he, he, he 
he, without thinking, fought off the muggers yeah, in the, I mean, in the yeah, yeah. carjacking incident, um, which is surely the benchmark for hardness, is, is taking on people wielding knives or screwdrivers or whatever it was. That was amazing. To, I mean, just like, <laughs> uh, I just uh, you genuinely watch that footage and you can't really believe what you're seeing. In terms of more standard forms of footballing violence, sometimes, you know, within the laws of the game, um, tackling is a curious little subgenre of the language of football, James. Um, I think to introduce this little section, I think we need the most cliched reference to someone making a tackle, and uh, here it is. That's a Scorsese special, and how often have you commentated in this young man? Nothing malicious, but he's such a clumsy tackler. I mean, that's the right clip to play, isn't it? Because I think this myth about uh, Skull's tackling was entirely born out of Andy Gray kind of laughing at off every <laughs> single time, right? I just, I, it's really weird. It was, it was, it seemed to be like every single Paul Skull's tackle was met with a, just this kind of weird little chuckle. It's like, oh, Skull's EA. And I don't, I can't remember any other player who received that kind of generous reception to his tackling. But it's weird because not being able to tackle is kind of a fundamental flaw in the game of a mid, in a midfield player, right? <laughs> yeah. And you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't, like, if he couldn't pass the ball, no, I'd be saying, ah, oh, he can't pass, it's just a laugh. Yeah. So yeah. it kind of seems bizarre that we'd kind of ride that off, particularly someone like Andy Gray, who you know mm. is an old-fashioned, uh, an old-fashioned guy, as, as we know. Uh, and you would have thought he'd kind of be keen <laughs> to be able to put his foot in and actually win the ball sometimes, but he just laughs it off every single time. But mm. I think that's really telling with someone like Andy Gray. You know, it, it's fine to make horrendous tackles because at least you're, you're, you know, you're trying to go through the ball. If he was ducking out of tackles, he'd have been absolutely slated for it, yeah, and that true. is like a big issue with like our footballing culture it's fine it's fine to make you know awful tackles at least he's trying to tackle which is just ludicrous the the jordan pickford incident um last weekend kind of highlighted an obsession we have which is detecting how much malice is in a tackle and i have i have kind of two issues here first of all we, we cannot possibly ever know what a player's emotion was as they fly into a jackal, uh, Charlie. And second of all, what is the, what is this obsession with this very particular, very particular word? And then, and it's, and then it's always kind of conspicuous by its absence. Like, oh, I don't think there was any malice in that. It, it was, <laughs> it, it, was clum it was clumsy more than anything. I, just, uh, I, I don't know how many actually malicious tackles there have ever been. Yeah. And that then feeds into the, he's not that kind of player defense. Yeah. Who, who is that guy? Um, What's his name? The Australian guy who who genuinely did put in malicious tackles. I mean, like uh, quite terrifying tackles. We're he, all, uh, the, the name is on the tip of all three of our tongues. Yeah, right? he plays for Mills. It's, it's, it's Muscat, isn't it? It's Kevin Muscat. Yes, yeah. yes, Kevin Muscat. Yeah, and you'll see um, clips. That, uh, Tiato as well. Um, mm. The guy who played for Man City. I seem to remember mm. him putting in some quite nasty ones as well. But yes, generally it is seen to be. Um, you know, he's not that kind of player, no malice, just one of those things. It gets into kind of video nasty kind of territories, a kind of sort of moral panic, James. Uh, the language you sometimes use about, you know, incredibly um, bad tackles, X-rated horror tackle. Um, there's, you know, an element of Mary Whitehouse about it, which I find quite strange. We, we genuinely seem to be quite horrified by these things when when, it, when really I think it's just an occupational hazard, isn't it? Yeah, I'd say so. And I, I am, you know, I've been watching football for 25 years and I, or longer mm. than that. And I'm amazed how, like, you know, and we talk about players rolling around on the floor and making a meal of challenges, but I'm amazed mm. at how often you see someone get absolutely clobbered and you think, <laughs> oh, bloody hell, if that was me, I'd be like, I'd be out of the game, I'd be walking off, I'd be going home. 
Yeah. But they just get up and get on with it. And I, I actually, yeah, like, you know, we talk about footballers as being really soft, but like most of them, are way harder than me. <laughs> yes. Which maybe like, is probably, a low bar. And he's pretty yeah. hard. Yeah, I think maybe the pain pain threshold is is slightly higher than we than we think. I'm talking about a very specific incident here, James. Like when a player's on the floor and a crafty opponent will sort of tread on his ankle, and and it, and we're talking about sort of a low level um, dark arts here. But um, the instant panic is, oh, yeah, he's stamped on him with his studs, and and this obsession with studs about how much damage they can truly do always always intrigues me um we talked a few weeks back about the the hilarious incident when uh, jose basingua kind of basically just pushed over yossi ben Ayun in the corner with his foot and this, this oh, he's got him with his studs <laughs> I, I just don't think in those circumstances if you're not you know colliding with someone i just I simply don't think studs can do that much damage that's my theory we get too preoccupied with um when studs make contact with human flesh about how how bad that could be but i just want to get that off my chest you don't have to respond you don't have to say anything like the language of studs showing that's slightly different though isn't it i think mm. if mm. you're talking about like a studs up challenge that kind of feels like a, a that kind of imp- like implies a lack of control right that, mm, that you know maybe. you kind of got both feet like up in the air and you're kind of careering into someone you're far more what? likely to do them damage than you would you know if you're kind of got one leg tucked in behind maybe i don't know but what percentage of, of footballing pain is actually caused by studs i'm not sure I mean, it's more like the, the impact of a 15 stone defender rather than the studs themselves not saying they couldn't be used as a as a, as a lethal weapon i'm just saying i think their <laughs> their prominence is overstated that's all i'm saying on to lighter matters charlie did you know that there are 611 instances on google of the phrase last stitch tackle Wow. 611 deluded people. Well, you know, maybe it, it could be multiple people or the same person doing it 611 times. What, what um, made you... I've never heard that. What made you search for that? <laughs> can't remember. Can't remember, <laughs> but there it was. Um, I, I, someone just... I think I read it, must have read it in an article and thought, how many people actually think it's last stitch? Last and what do stitch. they think last stitch means? Yeah. Hmm. Not that I know what last ditch means, of course. Oh, I mean, is that a, is it a psalm reference? Who God knows. Um, <laughs> like uh, guilt edged is sometimes spelt with, as in yeah. guilt. Yeah, as in you, yeah. Guilt that, I mean, that's quite excusable because you can think, well, yeah. I probably think, yeah, yeah. But again, still also terrible. But um, I just worry for these people who are going through life thinking it's last stitch tackle. Um, yeah, but um, on on another kind of vague moral football note this idea that if you take this aspect out of his game player x will be a different player charlie who's mm. who sums that up that sentiment more than any other well i remember that being said about alan smith of leeds fame that if oh, you right. took away his kind of anger he'd pretty much die um, he was quite a spiteful player though wasn't there'd he? be nothing really left yeah <laughs> i I've, I've always found that quite an annoying justification and explanation for you know y- yes I'm, I'm not suggesting that players shouldn't have an edge or shouldn't mm. be passionate or whatever but the idea that you know oh you take away his right to foul people and put in really dangerous <laughs> tackles and he wouldn't be the same player and it's kind of like well yeah. yeah he might be a better one and also it might be for the benefit of the people that this player this hypothetical player is injuring or hurting unnecessarily with his recklessness yeah. Um, Rooney, I think James is is another sort of long term candidate for this because it, obviously he just you know he spent the first ten or fifteen years of his career just fuming constantly, and I think if you did take that out of his game, he would have been a different player. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I mean that that kind of 
pent-up aggression that he seems to have carried around for his entire life, I think it's actually probably served <laughs> him quite well, isn't it? I mean, yeah, you, actually, you know, the way, you know, he probably more or less in, like popularised pressing in the Premier League, didn't he? Like herring around after centre-backs at the age of 16, 17. Yeah. I don't think anyone else is doing that back then. Um, I wonder if we can apply it to Pickford. I think we can, because if you took sort of over-exuberant, over-enthusiastic, slightly unnecessary movements of the body out of Jordan Pickford's game, <laughs> you generally wouldn't have anything left. Um, so on, on that, you know, basic foundation alone, I think it might actually apply to him. So I, th- I think we've solved the Pickford case now. I think that's the last week. That's the last we'll ever need to talk about Jordan Pickford. And as he looks forward to his very, very long theoretical ban from the game, maybe he can start to think about those things. In terms of fouls, Charlie... I feel I feel like we can judge them like we can goals, like we can own goals and kits and all sorts of things. That there are there are such things as iconic fouls, surely. Yeah, I mean, I think of the Joel Schumacher Batistan, um, which I think I Batman first saw on it. Joel Schumacher. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, what's his actual first name? Uh, Harold or Harold he, Schumacher, he also known yeah. as Tony. But, I mean, <laughs> but <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. yeah. yeah sorry, sorry, mixing up my Schumachers. Sh- the Schumacher yeah, I'm just glad I knew who Joel Schumacher was. Yeah, that's a, that's a great reference. Mm. Um, yeah, he did. Was it Batman Forever or Batman and Robin, or both? Maybe uh, yeah. when Batman's went bad. Anyway, um, yeah. but returning to that, yeah, Schumacher Baston for me is, is an iconic foul. And actually, linking it back to something James said, I first saw that I think on a Danny Baker video growing up. Yeah. So it just shows how how educational they were. Uh, I mean, just to, just to demonstrate the reach of, of this particular cultural iconic piece of foul play, um, listener Wolf writes in and says, Schumacher killing that French bloke will never be beaten. <laughs> but, it, you know, it is a coward's challenge, let's face it. Uh, James, we also have shouts out, obviously, for Benjamin Massing versus Kanija in mm, 1990, which, which is just a kind of a soap opera. It's, like a, it's, like a, it's a whole theater, theatrical production in its own right. Yeah, I mean, I think that that has gone down as one of. I mean, for a generation, I guess that's kind of the iconic moment of that World Cup because I know mm. uh, you know p- people like to go on about England's performances and you know uh, Nessendormer and whatever else, but really, surely the, the best moment of that World Cup was that challenge, right? Mm, I think so. Can he just doing himself no favors by running so quickly? I mean, it's, it's it uh, in isolation, it's just a bog standard trip. It's, it's not actually that brutal after all. He's, he just couldn't hurdle it. So it's his own fault for running so fast. Congratulations to the late, great Benjamin Massing. David Hartrick points out a very good candidate. Um, I always trust his opinion on these things. Um, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer versus Rob Lee, which is a, a completely yeah, different type of foul. But so unapologetic. Well, no, <laughs> truly. No, in fact, fully apologetic. Yeah. That's the point. Um, uh, that, that is a nice foul. You know, that, that's one that we can all hold our hands up and say, yeah, that's absolutely fine. I love the way he's almost walking. He just does it and pretty much walks off. And and that is like he, the definition of a professional foul. Yeah, I think he mouths, I had to do it to David Beckham as he goes off. Um, it's, it's the very definition of taking one for the team, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, of course. And so, yeah, so, you know, the moral implications of that are, are, are fairly clear. But, but James, what, what intrigues me about that one is that he went for the kind of knee-high scythe. I mean, it wasn't particularly forceful, but... Why don't you just pull the shirt? I, and I, I get the impression that he probably just thought maybe at the time or whenever that pulling the shirt is just, yeah, that's a bit too crafty, that's a bit <laughs> too mean. And that would yeah. have been too sort of scandalous. But to kind of innocently chop Rob Lee down at the knees when he's about to score, that's fine. What a well, weird moral code we have. Well, don't forget he was playing with Paul Skull, so maybe he'd got a few tips from him. Oh, yes, of course. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. In terms of disapproving at uh, on-pitch footballing violence, um, I feel like I need to play you the the following clip, which I feel, and you, I, I suspect you know who this is going to be, but I feel like it sums up exactly what people talk about when uh, when there are things on the pitch we just don't want to see. Just yeah. what English football <laughs> did not want to see. You just keep going. Oh, belt up, Barry, is what Danny <laughs> Baker's saying over the top. And really, this is a sign of English football, a face of English football <laughs> we do not want to see. What do the players think they are doing? <laughs> to dismiss the referee's authority in such a manner cannot be good for the game. However they feel, he is the judge, and his judgment has to stand. Face of English football. So that was Barry Davis at peak disapproval, um, James. Uh, of course, the 1974 Charity Shield, where Kevin Keegan and Billy Bremner decided to take their shirts off in disgust at being sent off. And the whole thing was just deemed to be um, the absolute nadir for English football. That kind of sums up the kind of slightly pompous tone that we sometimes take at on pitch violence. Yeah, and the thing about you know mass brawls that you see on football pitches, they're not like the kind of mass brawls you see in a pub car park, are they? It's just no. basically a, it's just basically a few blokes kind of squaring up to each other and you know kind of gobbing off a bit and kind of you know maybe bumping chests and sort of pushing each other off and kind of pointing in each other's faces. But you're not you're very rarely going to see like you know kicks or punches exchanged. Ninety percent posturing. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's non-violence, isn't it? Um... Uh, Daxie Wilson writes in and says most brawls are actually just a bunch of players trying to break up a brawl that doesn't really exist <laughs> which I think is a really really nice way of putting it the the thing about um, sort of 21 man brawls is that they are essentially non-violent you don't actually see anyone you, you never see a top level elite level footballer it doesn't feel like they've got it in them to punch someone anymore I can't think of the last time I saw someone punch someone in a football match I mean, the last one I can think of is is that Duncan Ferguson one at Wigan. Do you remember Paul Shana? He kind of, and maybe it's more of a kind of thump into the stomach than like a kind of full on punch. All oh, right, so like a snidey one into the ribs. Yeah, yeah, Jerry Barton did this in in that QPR game against Man yeah, City. That's right, yeah. But I, I just, you know, I'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing. I just, I'm just saying it's a thing. So, Charlie. If we think about a an average footballing brawl, um, Google Google says to me that the the most common number of brawlers in a football brawl is twenty one, so there'll always be one who sits out, usually a goalkeeper. That's pretty much standard, is it? There's always someone who doesn't join in. Yeah, I wonder what the the reasons are for that as to whether that's a 
just not really fancying it. Or if you're a keeper, just being like, I can't really be bothered to kind of sprint forward to join in this posturing and sort of play fighting. Well, I mean, because you know, part of football's moral code is you know, if if you're far away from from a brawl that's beginning to to kick off, if you run fully fifty yards to get involved, that's apparently that's not a done thing as well. You know, you should be getting involved if you are far away, which <laughs> which essentially has no logic to it whatsoever, um, apart from geography. So uh, I'm, I'm not buying into that. We asked our listeners, James, for some some vital components of a, of a classic twenty one man brawl. Anthony Neal says you have to have one good one goalkeeper running the length of the pitch to get involved, as we've covered. Jim Douglas says a flying kick and the linesman running on the pitch to intervene. Now, what I think about this one is flying kicks are more of a European continental thing, aren't they? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, maybe even South American. I don't think. <laughs> yeah. um, I can't think of too many times or any times actually that I've seen that in a kind of top level match in English football. I mean, mm. just can't think of any kind of kick really. You know, <laughs> even a kind of sly little one. And maybe you'd kind of get one into sort of the back of the Achilles or something like that, maybe. Yeah. In the kind of in the kind of, you know, that, that kind of melee of legs, you might get something like that. The other thing you always get is is someone kind of doing an attempt at, at banter and kind of, you know, jostling with another player on the opposition team that, you yeah. know, it's all a bit of a waste of time. Yeah, that's they're, key. They're, they're that's kind key. of above it, aren't they? Yeah, they're, definitely. They're kind of yeah, you, to, yeah. you have to have someone who 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 is kind of post irony when it comes to the brawls and they just think, Do you know what? I'm stepping outside of this. I don't want to get involved, and that's my job in Sunday League. I'm 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 a proud joker on the halfway line with someone saying, "Ah, oh, we've all got to go to work tomorrow." Do you know what I mean? This, this is unnecessary. Yeah, just rising above it. I think is the core. Um, Charlie Mark Ridley says the 17 man brawl must also include the assistant manager at its core. Assistant managers are quite <laughs> crucial here because they are essentially most of the time they're kind of proper football man ex-players who still have it in them still you know they're still wearing Adidas World Cups on the sideline they're they're guaranteed to get involved like the Joe Jordan Reno yes. not abroad that's but like, that, I think that's the height of like you know you would not mm. want to mess with the assistant manager what, yeah. what is the tipping point for like the benches getting involved how many how many players need to be involved in a brawl before like subs and coaches kit men and whatever else all start to get involved because I think it's probably impossible to have a 22 man brawl because once you get to kind of 15, 16, yeah. I reckon everyone else is piling in as well and you instantly go way over that. Well, that's a very good point. There might be a scientific point here because after 22, Google suggests that 15 and 12 are the next <laughs> most common brawls. So there's obviously a cutting, there's obviously a tipping point, as you say, where it just becomes sort of countless and it becomes like a every man for himself. So um, it's just where benches are that it's, that you know, it, fullbacks clattering into wingers is pretty much the thing that sparks most brawls and that's obviously right in front of the benches so I think you might be right I mean given the number of backroom staff they have these days it's it's it becomes innumerable after a while Stephen Mayer says a brawl must include I think he's put a lot of thought into this a brawl must include at least one goalkeeper rapid blows of the referee's whistle that just seem to get everyone more fired up <laughs> yes. I do like it when it's like, yeah. Yeah, like a 1920s policeman it's actually no no effect on this whatsoever um, linesman arriving late on the scene and one hilarious height difference between two of the fighting players yeah yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I think I think he's got that nailed, he's uh, nailed it. there is Charlie there is the, um, the the vital role of the peacemaker um, the, the kind of sort of performative peacemaker <laughs> I always do enjoy those getting involved yeah often one of the you know the, the bigger guys who's kind of the wise and pro seen it all yeah, yeah exactly and like you know just just calming everyone down I think Gary Cahill was the peacemaker um, after Lewis Dunk's um, heinous two-footed challenge at Selhurst Park for Brighton the other day and he was the one that was just sort of getting in there and I think it, it comes down to how many of the 
players in the opposition team you know from a previous club as well. So journeyman senior pros come in really handy because they're the ones <laughs> that sort of um, because if someone you don't know is is the one pushing you away, then 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 it becomes a kind of extra wrestling match and extra potential beef. So you have spin off brawls. So <laughs> picking the peacemaker it's a very vital job. It's important, James, that we separate a brawl from a row. A row is is a touchline incident between a few people, but not enough for a brawl. Then yeah. you've got a fracar, which I think is in a tunnel. You've got tunnel fracar. Yeah. Yeah, um, you're very much thinking Vieira keen there, aren't you? Yeah, so fracos are tunnel-based things. Melees are take place within a very um, particular area, so it's either the technical area or the penalty area or the six-yard box. That's where melee occurs, and that that can begin with actual football, so sort of sliding tackles that kind of just um, very very gently segue into a brawl. So that's yeah. quite an elegant thing. Well, melee, melee to me says kind of a, a frantic thing that's over incredibly quickly. Oh, okay. Oh, so it sort of fizzles out, runs out yeah. of steam. I, I would have thought that was, you know, where control is completely lost, but I, I'm happy to accept that. Uh, Charlie, what about bust-ups? Bust-ups are training ground only, I, I would I would wager. A training ground bust-up. Yeah, that is, that is what you hear with bust-up. And I'm, I'm sure your Google searches would, uh, would, would back... I'm sure the data would, would support that. Yeah, that, yeah the analytics. Uh, but the thing is about training ground bust-ups, of course, they, they happen up and up and down the country every day. It's nothing you, to get too You'd be disappointed about. if you weren't having one. You know, you, <laughs> yeah. we want to see that. The players care. Wait, the best teams I've ever I want played to see for. John have been... and kicking Ile Berkovic in the face. I want. To see yeah, I mean, we, that. you know, when we were winning the title, we were getting in fights every day. You know, that's just that's what happens. At, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, these guys are winners. Other curious, other curious moral codes of 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 football, um, James. Uh, I, I always enjoy the, the 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 kind of barometer of how violent an incident is. Is is it you apply it to um, real life situations? If you did that to someone in the street. Right. <laughs> but I, but the problem is, I feel, I feel like ninety nine percent of things that happen in a football game would be arrestable yeah. offences. If you made really, if, if you kicked a football really hard at someone walking down the street, it would probably be deemed pretty bad, right? If you just gently nudge them as if you were marking them at a corner, that's harassment. <laughs> yeah. That's an arrestable offence. You can't do that to someone on the street. A really clean tackle on someone in the street. Still a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> Big ball shape to the police. Why, as why they turn are you doing up. that? Yeah. <laughs> on a final note, I want to clear something up here charlie uh, what are the things in football that if you do those things you are asking for trouble uh go to grounds i mean if you if yeah. you kind of slide in then yeah you know you, yeah, you just miss time it by trouble. a fraction and you know mm. you're asking for trouble james anything to add oh i mean i mean just to go back to going in studs up really that would be kind of the other one wouldn't it i was thinking raising your hands if you raise your hands oh yeah oh, of course yeah, you're, you're of you're course. yeah Oh, well, I'm glad we got all that cleared up. What a thoroughly enjoyable study of violence that was. I don't want to get too Barry Davis about it, but um, that was something we always want to see. Or hear, because it's a podcast, isn't it? I think that might be one of my worst outros of all time. <laughs> but anyway, um, Charlie, thanks for joining me, because I know you've got to go and join Jose Mourinho's pre-Europa League presser, so please enjoy that. Thank you. Yes, uh, a bit of a change of pace. Yeah, yeah. And thank you too to James. What triumphant comeback that was. Thank you. Cheers, guys. See everyone next week. Mm-hmm.